You're listening to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down. Or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna, and this is Inverse. So you two, who would like to read the passage? I mean, full disclosure, it was Brittany saying it was my passage, so I don't know that it's Brittany's passage. (laughs) It's it's Malcolm's passage all the way. (laughs) And you have a great accent, so I would love for you to read the passage. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it's a long, it's, it's quite long. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers, your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed, and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, and set the oppressed free, and and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, And when you see the naked, to clothe him, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear, and your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you you will call, and the Lord will answer, and you will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. I'll stop there. I could read to 12, but that's um, Isaiah 58. Verses 3 to 9. Thank you for reading that. Um, So, number one, just thank you for being here. We're so excited, both Malcolm and Brittany, to have you from Common Hymnal joining us here on Inverse. Um, We want to begin by um, just getting to know some of your story as as you encountered Scripture. So, maybe, Brittany, can you start us off? When do you remember encountering the scriptures first? Like, what's your memory and how do you kind of make sense of that story? Um, You mean that scripture in particular? No, 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 your own story. Yeah, the Christian scriptures. Like, when do you remember first encountering the Christian scriptures, the Bible, and and what was that memory like? And how do you kind of place that that story? Yeah. Uh, I want to say for me, it was, um, I think it happened as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a, we had a ritual that actually, I never actually thought about that. Like in my adult life, actually, until this podcast came about as a yeah. kid, whenever we would get in the car, we said Psalm 23, oh, we wow. cited every single morning in the car. Um, and that was with my mom. Um, mm-hmm. and then we will all have to take turns praying. Um, we had a long drive to school. I, yeah. um, I could sing and my sister, she was um, she was really into science, and so we went to art schools, and we didn't go to our zone schools at all, all through middle and high school, and um, so we had a long drive in the morning to get to across town, and so my mom would have us uh, read the scripture, and then she would have us pray, 
And um, and that that was kind of throughout my family. My aunt had mm. a similar ritual. We stayed at her house a lot during the summer months because um, my mom worked a lot and my aunt was a stay-at-home mom. So every yeah. time we would get in her van, we would say, thank huh. you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And it was uh, it was like call and response. My aunt would mm. say it. We'd be putting on our seatbelt and she'd say, thank you, Jesus. And we'd say, thank you, Jesus. And then she said it like three or four more times. And we'd try to figure out when she was going to stop. But uh, eventually she did. <laughs> um, but uh, those were prayers of protection. Yeah, um, absolutely. That was, uh, that was our family's way. And I'm realizing it now. That was my family's way of, of teaching us um, I guess what they would consider like the Bible basics, wanting us to to know scripture, wanting us to to understand scripture outside of the context of a church building. Um, and it was really effective. It wasn't until I was older when I started hearing people kind of um, complain about there not being like things like prayer in church or in schools anymore. And I never, I never understood that. I never identified with that because my family prayed with me and read scriptures all the time on our way to school. Um, and I, I, if, I'm, if I'm honest, I think they might have been, I don't know if they were fearful. Um, just the idea of having their kids go across town. Um, right. I don't know if it's because we were, we were in Baltimore, that's where I'm from, and it's, wow. it's not the safest city. Um, but it was very important to my, uh, my family um, that we knew our faith and that we knew our foundation. That's beautiful. Yeah. Here's to mums and aunts quoting scripture <laughs> to their yeah. kids everywhere on the, on the way to Literally school. And... Making it a ritual, right? Um, yeah. It was just a oh, part yeah. of the rhythm of your life that, that scripture just embedded and interweaved in your life. That, that is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> now for, for you, um, when do you remember encountering the scriptures for the first time? I don't grow up in Christianity. Mm. So um, I don't have a, I, I didn't really read the Bible until I was 17. Uh -huh. My dad was a professional gambler in horse racing. And so that was my version of spirituality was <laughs> gambling. We had emotions. We had grown men crying in the living room when they lost a lot of money on Saturdays. Wow. And my dad ran a, a illegal bucket shop. Um, Change so we had to avoid the police often on Wednesdays and Saturdays. So that I don't I don't have Christianity in my my background. I became the first Christ follower in my family at age seventeen, oh. and um, I was asked to attend a Catholic Charismatic Mass. Hmm. Never done Catholic, never heard of Charismatic, and it lasted for four hours, and it was deeply impactful to me. And in that week, I made a decision to to pursue Jesus. And the first time I read the Bible was seven, six days later when I went mm. to this gathering as a 17 year old and they said, God spoke to me through the Bible. Well, that was just fascinating to me. Mm. Just the idea that God would speak to someone I'd never heard. I never, cause I didn't grow up with the familiarity of those phrases. So I just thought this is amazing. Mm. So I remember on the Friday afternoon thinking I should look at the Bible, but I didn't know what to do. So I did the classic, Kid thing that you should never do. I spun the Bible around and turned it upside down and opened and said, God, would you please speak to me through the Bible? And pointed. There's the gambling influence coming in, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I pointed at the verse of Jeremiah chapter one, where it says, I've called you to be a prophet to the nations, to uproot and mm. to tear down, Oof. to destroy and overthrow 
and then finally to build and plant. And I thought, oh, no, <laughs> I don't think God can speak to me through the Bible. It didn't make any sense. <laughs> Must not be for me. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, I closed it and I thought, I'll try again tomorrow. Um, but it soon became apparent to me in my journey that, um, that I'm wired to do those six things to destroy, to overthrow, to upset, to provoke, to, to tear down and to make people think about stuff, always with the goal of building and planting. My introduction to the Bible was not very illustrious. It was, it was, it was just very random, just a kid. And I read that verse and it, it, it confused me, but it never left my mind. Mm. And basically, probably not a month, sometimes not a week goes by in my life where I just sit down and I I just think how random and how beautiful that that encounter, that random weird encounter with the Bible has actually shaped who I am and how I function. Two thirds disruptive, one third pleasant. <laughs> that, that's the ratio. <laughs> my, nothing but amens for like my experience with the scriptures. When when people talk about having wonderful like quiet times and all the rest, I was like, are we reading the same material? I always feel like I'm in the aftermath of, of something. So I, I I love hearing that from both of you. Yeah, it's like quiet time, more like disruptive time, right? <laughs> yeah, um. Brittany, you've located yourself in Baltimore, and I'm guessing um, childhood was uh, late 90s? Was like... In the late 90s? Oh, yeah, yeah. In the... Well, I'm 31, so I was, I was born in 88. So for me, it was like the, the whole 90s, I guess. Like uh -huh. early 2000s, so, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, Malcolm, you, you've located yourself um, just by your accent um, to that uh, particular part of the world now referred to um, as South Africa, um, uh -huh. uh, that, that one nation that people usually go to when they try and name the 53 or 54 nations that make up the continent of, of Africa. <laughs> um, given your different contexts and different um, uh, um, uh, on, on the timeline as well, where would you locate your experience of scripture um, uh, personally on that spectrum of from oppressive to liberating? Um, was those initial experiences and how you encountered it in um, uh, your childhoods or um, uh, teenage life, was it something that um, uh, restricted or um, set free? How did you experience it? Who's going first, Brett? Oh, I went first last time. I'll let you go first this time. Okay. <laughs> I I love the Bible. Um, I never, I've never been able to engage or understand the Bible in a micro way. I've always engaged mm. in a in a macro way. Mm. So I'm I'm fascinated with um the sub sub stories. I'm fascinated with the fact that. It's the story of the baton of faith being handed from generation to generation. And most transitions were very poorly, excepting for Elijah and Elisha. That interests yeah. me. Yeah. Um, so I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in the, in the, in the, the massive storyline feel that I've, I, because, because most people I, I deal with or engage with in America grew up in Christianity and they spent their whole lives escaping from their upbringing and their parents and, and their right. Christian indoctrinization. I, I, I escaped from something else to Christ. So I don't have such a tortured mm -hmm. relationship with, um, 
with Christianity or with the Bible because it was my discovery. Yeah. Um, I just never engaged with it in a memory verse or magical way. I'm just fascinated uh -huh. with the met with certain meta narratives which have impacted me, and yeah. I'm very comfortable with the with the goodness of those. And then the rest I don't think about too much. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and for you, Brittany? <laughs> yeah, I uh, I hope I, I answer this this question um, correctly. And if I'm too off topic, you guys can let me know. Um, I didn't grow up um, being taught about oppression, so that wasn't oh. my my lens um, mm. when reading scripture. I come from an apostolic background, mm -hmm. um, which is just from it's for me. It's, it's the black way of saying Pentecostal. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's a it's an actual denomination. I love it. I, yep. I still say I'm Pentecostal to this day. Um, if someone were to ask, um, we didn't talk about race. We didn't talk about oppression. I thought oppression was just uh, something that I read about in Moses's day. Um, wow. It that wasn't something that we talked about. We didn't talk about the present day injustice or oppression. Huh. That wasn't that wasn't the lens that I had growing up. Um, so when it comes to oppression, the Bible for me has been helpful in my adult years as yeah. I've been wakened up to, as I've been awakened to um, what oppression is in, in my generation and in my day. Uh -huh. um, so I, 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 it feels odd to say every time I say it out loud, uh, but, but it's true. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I didn't see myself in scripture in that way growing up, hmm. um, but it's been very, it's been very liberating um, yeah. to read scripture, um, particularly for me, reading um, and learning about the humanity of Jesus yeah. um, and how he came to set us free. And, and just that for me has been the liberating uh, part of scripture for me in my journey, mm. um, in my adult journey, I should say, yeah. of, um, of actually seeing myself and seeing oppression and seeing uh, just the modern day injustice um, through the lens of scripture. Mm. Yeah, wow. That's good. That's good. So as you guys are sharing about, um, you know, just the ways that you guys have engaged scripture, whether it be, I like to have nothing to do with the macro themes that are happening there and wrestling with it. And um, Brittany talking about, you know, going from not engaging these oppressive realities to as an adult, that being a really liberative aspect of your experience with scripture. And so I'm curious, um, like we recognize that with all our guests, like everyone, um, everyone's story shapes and, and provides us with kind of a unique particular lens through which we read scripture, right? Mm. Our story mm -hmm. in many ways shapes our lens for reading scripture. And I'm, I'm curious what from your own experience then um, might you want to offer as a gift to others? Uh, I'm thinking especially about our listeners, but just in general, like what from your own story what might you want to gift um, others as it relates to reading scripture? Mm. Oh. Wow. I, I've never actually done this before, and, and this might be out of place, but Malcolm, it, if I might, one of um, the gifts of your story, uh, um, particularly like your experience and maybe not naming it as, as such as the charismatic movement in uh, the 70s in yeah. South Africa um, and and then wanting to hear um, music uh, sung out of 
uh, your home, not just from the homes of others overseas, particularly yes. that geographical context just south of Canada and north of Mexico. Um, <laughs> uh, th that um, you started to sing anti-apartheid songs as worship mm -hmm. and something of your experience of the spirit of God in your context uh, meant that you knew uh, in your bones that worship has always been protest. Mm -hmm. And uh, my, my experience of um, a common hymnal and why it's, it's my go-to if I'm sermon prepping um, my baby boy who's seven weeks old. Congratulations. I want to say that before we begin. Oh, thanks. Yeah. He, Brittany, when, when you sing, he, you can see a change in him. Like it, it, it is, it is beautiful. And, and he, he loves your stuff. Um, he loves Otis Redding, common hymnal, and uh, Dave Andrew, his uh, uh, piano music. But there, there is something um, uh, in your story, Malcolm, that I think has given permission to a whole generation of young leaders like Brittany um, to be themselves, to bring their music, to sing the songs that God sings over them. And I, I would love for you to speak to um, that particular lens, uh, because those of us who um, haven't grown up in uh, that particular North American experience, which uh -huh. is a very white evangelical experience, yeah. those of us who are located elsewhere in the world and don't have the same kind of baggage, um, I think that is part of um, uh, how your call has expressed itself is those kind of particularities. Would you yeah. speak to that as a way of um, giving permission for Brittany to open up um, how that canopy has given permission for the flourishing uh -huh. of, of her gifts and her calling? Okay. I, you know, I'm, I'm the product of apartheid, of legislated racism. Mm -hmm. The success of apartheid is not only what it does to the oppressed, but it's how it numbs the privileged. Yes. So I'm, yeah. I'm a perfect success of that. I just grew up in the life I grew up in was life. Mm. Um, as you, as I mentioned from my story with the Bible before, I'm an intuitive animal and, and have just functioned intuitively actually from the moment that I became a believer in Jesus. I don't have recollections so much before, mm. but, um, the passage, the passage that I read Isaiah 58, was a passage of scripture that played a very big part in a 21-day time of prayer and fasting at my home church in Durban, South Africa, that really changed my life. Mm. The, 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 pre, the, 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 the prompt, the, the, the backstory is 23, I'm a, ch I'm a kid with a bunch of young kids who know the oldest person was 24, excepting for Bubbles and Piper, who are grandparents of one of the young people who were in the eighties. <laughs> and then They're great and <laughs> we, we planted this church and we had talent, young people, just a, a thrive, a hive of, of, of vitality. December 84, I'm driving in my car, picking up some friends from the airport. And just, I had this clear impression, call the church to fast and pray for the country for 21 days and begin on the 4th of August next year. Mm. Well, I have zero interest really in the country. We don't, I'm not patriotic. I'm not really connected, but that just, that, that, that 12 second encounter with just mm. God's prompting set of dominoes in my life, me and my friends. We, I, 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 I'm 
prior to that, you know, I I I'd be, I was a musical worship leader, and I said, we, we, you know, I live in America where we have a superiority complex. I grew up in a country with an inferiority complex, oh. so we always wanted to sing songs that came from far away, and we would scour the. We didn't have the internet, but the resources possible, and we used to gather whatever was available from elsewhere in the world because we never sang our own songs. And I said, well, if God's real, we should write our own songs. And then oh. that year, that changed to, well, if God's real and we're going to pray for our country, we should begin writing songs in the context of our country. And oh. so me and my friends started writing songs and um, that started talking about uh, apartheid and, and, and juxtaposed the injustice of a society with the, 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 the goodness, the, the perfection of the kingdom of mm. God. And, and so we prepared and then as it would happen, the 4th of August was the day after our city erupted in the most incredible violence that followed the gradual announcement of a, of a national state of emergency. Mm. 61, 76 and 85 were the three big years of protest in our country to our country's transformation. In 85, we, we just got jettisoned into this. And so we met on the first night and read that Isaiah 58. Hmm. And we were just wow. enthusiastic young charismatics who wanted to do, weep and pray and do stuff. And all of a sudden, this sentiment of these people who'd been in this this nation, who'd been in exile, who were coming back with figuring out how to rebuild and make sense of their lives. Um, when they were having complaints with God, the, the, the challenge from the prophetic voice was, well, you can't just manipulate, you can't just do all this external stuff. But actually, the true fast is not, not just praying and, and weeping all day, but... Actually, have you thought about caring for your family members? What about paying people? What about the way you treat your mm. workers? What about the dignifying the oppressed? What about lobbying for the release of people who've been imprisoned incorrectly, of which we had many? And so um, basically, these songs that we'd written, we, we sung in our church of 300 people. And because of our, we weren't big or famous, but we had a sphere of influence. And so the dominoes started, started falling, and, and soon these songs were being sung broadly. No one made worship records, so I'm trying to tell a lot of story stuff quickly, but, but we made one. We found a way to get some money, and we made a record. It, mm -hmm. it wasn't America. It, this was South Africa. We didn't have money. We didn't have good musicians in Christianity. But I rustled. I, I went on a mission, and on the 14th day, well, let me say this. On the 14th day of the fast, we had a six-hour prayer meeting, and my life was turned upside down. Wow. I didn't become politically involved in, a, in our struggle because my parents were political, because I read books. I, my heart was changed because I lay on the floor at Parkview Primary School for six hours mm. and cried for six hours and thought, I, I got I to gotta do something. Mm. And that, that meant wow. I spent the next eight months to any black person that would befriend me. I, I talked to them, and I, I learned black consciousness and Steve Biko's doctrines Come very, on. very quickly yeah. by, the, by, the, by the mistakes I made, by always initiating stuff in a society where it was always white people that took initiative, and I was always the one initiating. I had to quickly learn to not always take initiative. But anyway, it, 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 and we recorded these songs, and it just led to five years of basically being the, 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 the cheerleader of a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multilingual community that fused praise and protest and participated in our political um, landscape up till the release of Nelson Mandela in 1990. We were never the most powerful people. We were Forrest Gump. We were always at the scene of the crime. <laughs> we not really how we got there, but I, I've got fast, I can tell you fascinating stories that are just 
that always seem like they make believe, but they're actually absolutely really true. So, um, yeah. uh, um, but on the the um, I don't know where I'm going. I'm just I'm just jumbling jabbering some stuff. But on the twenty, no, no, this is fantastic. Like the twenty, and, and, and very very affirming for uh, other I I intuitive. Um, uh, people, like, I'm like, amen. I'm trying to be quiet so you can do your thing, uh, because me amening all the way through doesn't make for good podcasts. But uh, I'm loving this. Well, he has the bit that sets up Whitney. Yeah, I mean, um, on the twenty, <laughs> on the twenty-first day of the fast, I'm I'm re I'm going. Through, I'm reading the Book of Isaiah still, and at four o'clock, I was I had to go to this fourth meeting, which was at four thirty. I read. The last verse I read was Isaiah 49 verse 6 and then I suddenly realized I was running late and I, I went. But I ran down to the, the place where we met thinking of these words. It's too small a thing for you prophesying about Jesus to restore only the lost of the house of Israel. But I've called you to be a light to the nations. Mm -hmm. And as I'm making my way to our meeting, I have another one of these times when I just feel God's speaking to me, getting my attention. And it goes something like this, just as it was uneconomical for me to send Jesus to Israel alone, but the truth of salvation was open to everyone. So it is with everything I do. You have a special love for your country all of a sudden, but I don't have a special love for your country. I love the country's plural. Mm. I've put something in your heart, but it's a practice run. In 1990, your country will change. Wow. I said all of this verbatim on Sunday, the 1st of September, 1985, I spoke and I told this to my church. In 99, your country will change. I want you to move in America. You will live in America when it's more dangerous to live in America than in South Africa. You will live in America when it faces its racism head on. You will live in America in a time of international crisis. I want you to encourage a younger group of people to do something similar to what you were about to do. And I told that to my church, Ronald Reagan was the president, as far as I could see, he looked like Charlton Heston, he was, America was lovely, black and white people went to Disneyland together. It's like, yeah, wonder. so all this <laughs> seems so, so weird, but I spoke it with conviction and then I got on with my life and I was buried in, in, in our political struggle and I, you know, I was, I, uh, my phone was tapped, my mail was opened, I was, yeah. I was supposedly on the assassination list of the government for nearly two years, and I was deeply involved in our, our political struggle, but I woke up on January the 1st, um, 1990, at four o'clock in the morning and thought, I gotta go to America. And a wow. few weeks later, I was with Jabo Nguenya, the head of our political alliance, oh. Sama, who'd been, who's under house arrest, and he'd been in jail for 18 years, he was just recently released, when we heard on his radio, all political parties unbanned, all political part, all political prisoners set free. And Jabu, it meant for Jabu, he didn't have to put, report to the police that night because he was under house arrest for political activity. And our country changed. With no, we, none of us had any word of warning. And I had to make my way to America, and I did. And I, I, I won't tell any more stories now, but um, I've lived here, and then late in life, I'm 61, all of a sudden I find myself doing the very thing that I felt on the at four o'clock on the 24th of August, 1985, that I'm sort of an older person encouraging a younger generation of people from to do something that has the same spirit of, of, of what I did in my country. And I feel like I live in South Africa. America into 2020 is South Africa. I'm exceedingly yeah. equipped. 
to deal yeah. with Donald Trump because I because of FW the Clark and PW yep. Water. They equipped me well. I mean, and that's <laughs> just to call time out just for a sec. Um, for those mm -hmm. who are, are listening and don't know the history of South Africa, to say that in 1985, I, I wonder, like, did people laugh when you're in that worship meeting? And um, because I guess for a lot of people, they're, they're looking at the US in the 80s and, um, uh, you know, Jesse Jackson and the Rainbow Coalition, one of their um, big um, pushes of push was actually anti-apartheid um, uh, like activism. So they're mm -hmm. looking at South Africa going, uh, this is um, the, uh, the, the black church that the freedom movement has taken their focus and is now applying it um, to uh, this nation and so much campaigning there. But you're talking about um, that uh, uh, America in the same way that Americans are thinking about South Africa mm -hmm. at a time when it doesn't look like, I mean, no one's got any idea that Mandela's going to get out in 1985. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. the, there's no end to Robben Island in 1985. Mm -hmm. That that's just it. That's a life mm -hmm. sentence. How did people respond at the time when you came with this word? Like there's so many things that you just named in that one word that just seem ridiculous. Well, my church, my young church community, we were journeying together. So it wasn't just like a shock. We were all on a, huh. you know, we were learning, we were thinking. So we were young people who were deeply involved in each other's lives. So we were processing. And 1985 was the year for all of us, all young white people, where we had to contemplate and start, you know, we couldn't, you know, we, things were banned. We, 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 we managed, you know, we had a film festival and the, well, I remember seeing the Granada British TV series called Apartheid, the history, and we had to sign a form to go and wow. see this movie. And, and we, start, we learned things that we just couldn't have learned. So my, my church wasn't shocked. And then of course, eight months later, I was the custodian of this recording of songs that were, that were interesting. And it was the same year that Paul Simon came to South Africa mm. and recorded Graceland. And so somehow those two activities, you know, often mingled. And so it, it opened up. So we traveled around the world. And uh, so I, I, for mostly I was a person of intrigue mm. and uh, it, it, it was shocking. I mean, we were, I was outspoken and, and when the government banned our record and second record in 1988, and I said that they were liars and every newspaper in the country put that on the front page of the paper. I wasn't every white Christian's best friend. And um, the leader of the largest church in the country went on radio that day and said I was a liberation theologian. I had to go find out what that was. I had no clue um, about El Salvador, n not nothing, but I was in big trouble. And, but, but, but even two years later when things started changing. He called me, invited me to his church, had me stand up and then now he called me the most something, something wonderful, some adjective, pop prophet. He called me a popular prophet and oh. just commended me after actually going publicly and telling people that I was a menace. Yeah. And um, so it was, it was, it was a mixture. Cause so we, we traveled around the world and people were intrigued cause I was, cause of the music that followed me. Um, so there was times when it was delightful and mm. there was, and then the next moment we'd say things that were absolutely provocative and then people would be absolutely uncomfortable. So it was a mixed mm. bag. Yeah. Wow. Malcolm. <laughs> Brittany, um, uh, as I said at the, the start there, um, something of, of Malcolm's story has brought incredible young artists um, such as yourself um, together in ways that uh, aren't uh, competitive, but are, um, are complementary and encouraging. 
um, when you think of um, the gifts of your particular experience, um, uh, Baltimore, Apostolic Church, um, and uh, uh, from that place, not connecting uh, the dots yet between the oppression in the Bible and, um, you know, fish don't know they're wet, right? Like, um, if it's what you swim in, how can you start to name it? As you think about your own journey, um, uh, what gifts uh, would you offer to others from your own perspective, from your own journey, from your own story in reading the Bible in such ways that um, do turn our world upside down? Gosh. Um, <laughs> I, uh, if it's okay, I'd love to give like a little history uh, context. Please. If that's yeah. okay. Yeah. I, won't, mm. I won't be before you long. Um, when, you, uh, you t we're not going anywhere, Brittany. This yeah. is this is fun <laughs> for us. Take you, your time. You take your time. If somebody falls out a window, that's probably a sign you've gone too long. But other than that, like you, you, you have the time. Okay, I uh, I remember the second writing <laughs> songwriting camp that I went to for Common Hymnal. Um, mm. We had a writing camp in May of 2017, and uh, this past weekend we actually just. Um, I guess this past weekend was the, like the third year anniversary of like some of our songs were written songs like the kingdom is yours. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, which is, which was, it was written by myself, D Wilson and Micah Massey. And uh, the whole song is really just us reimagining the Beatitudes. Yeah. Um, and I, I struggled for a long time in my life to see myself, to see my story, to see, um, to really find myself in scripture. And so mm. the idea of, um, and, and I wasn't doing worship music prior to Common Hymnal. The worship music was actually wow. like my worst nightmare. Wow. And, wow. And so, <laughs> if I'm honest, it was. I um, but Malcolm was was just nice and and, and very persuasive <laughs> and said, "Come to this worship camp. It's, 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 it, it, I just I just I just think you just do well. Just just come once. Just come." And uh, and and then once turned into twice, and um, and twice turned into the kingdom is yours, and 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 so for me, art, um, advocating for others, or or uh, reimagining scripture where you can, you can find ways to to find your own story in it, or to find the stories of people around you, that has been really helpful um, for my journey, and and I recognize yeah. it's a very artistic and creative uh, response. And, and I don't know that that's very applicable to people who are not creatives or who aren't artistic. Um, but if I'm just being honest to my story, that's helped me understand scripture a whole lot more. Oh man, yeah. Um, yeah. I think, uh, I believe it was a year or no, two years. No, I'm sorry, it was one year later, we had another writing camp, mm. um, songwriting camp where the specific goal was to come out of that writing camp with five songs, just all socially conscious worship songs. Mm. And we ended up with two albums full. Wow. Um, it was supposed to just be a five song EP. And I remember that writing camp was the best and worst thing to happen to me. Um, <laughs> it, it was, it was, it was the best and worst thing. Um, during that writing camp, I spent nine hours in the basement of a cabin, um, writing a song about sexual abuse and i never it, it sounds silly to say out loud now but i never thought about the the abuse that i encountered in my life um wondering what does god think about this mm. what does scripture say about this how does god mm. see how does god feel how does god 
care for mm. those who are are intentionally broken by other people. Yeah. I yeah. never saw myself in that way. And so for the first time in probably my life, I had to reconcile um, with my friends who were in the basement with me. How does God see the marginalized? How does God see the oppressed? And mm. um, we sat in a basement for nine hours and we wrote a song called He Has Time. Mm. And um, that day, I, I don't know how else to explain it, it was the best and worst thing that happened to me. Yeah. But the, the, I guess I guess to circle back to your question, this may be, like I said, too artistic or creative of a response, but but understanding, finding your story or finding a way to understand how does God see your story through scripture mm-hmm. has been yeah. helpful to me. Yeah. What does scripture say about how Jesus appealed to people like you? Mm-hmm. Um, to How did he appeal to people that were like you? How did he appeal to people who were marginalized, people who were singled out, people who were broken, people who were privileged, people who were wrong? How did Jesus address those people? How did he engage with them? What, what did he say? Yeah. That, that would be, that was the biggest gift for me because I didn't know that I, I, I've always knew it. Like, you know, you, you hear stuff, you go to church, you, you, you hear the, the things and sometimes they're cliches, but, but a lot, sometimes they're true, but you hear God cares for the broken. You hear these things, mm. but, um, but just understanding how Jesus engages with the people that we see every day, the people mm. we see online, the people we see on Twitter, the people we see crying out for justice, the people we see grieving in the middle of a pandemic. How does Jesus see mm-hmm. those people and, and, and where, how does he see people you know, like ourselves? I don't know, maybe I'm being redundant at this point, but that, that was, uh, that was the biggest gift. That was the biggest gift to me. And, um, and I don't know, maybe it'll be a gift to someone else. Yeah. Brittany, I think that's one of the most um, powerful, after three seasons, I think that is the most powerful response people, uh, any, anyone has, has shared. So, um, and, and I, I only reflect that back to say, um, your experience is a gift for others and, and how um, you are wrestling to bring all of that to prayer, that that is that is blessing people, not merely through your music, but how you articulate it, not just in song, but as you have now. It's really powerful. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. That's very encouraging. Four years ago, I didn't call myself a Christian and I had (laughs) for years. I had, it was easy for me to let go. Um, I I, I struggle sometimes with people who are trying to hold on, but let go of of their faith in a way. Cause for me, I just let it go. And I was like, I'm throwing this away. Yeah. And so I've been on a mission to just to just start from scratch as much as I can. You know, you can't get rid of everything yeah. you've been told. You can't you can't get rid of everything. For me, religion is very cultural for me. Mm. It's a very very cult. It's, for me, it's actually probably been more cultural than than what we would consider to be just overtly spiritual. It's that's been my experience. Mm. But starting over, um, it's a it's a gift. It's, it's a it's a weight that definitely comes with it um and explaining it like now is not easy um mm. and i probably won't do it well today um but what you said was very encouraging thank you um Brittany, my my own experience as a survivor and seeking to do theology 
um, uh, and theology as survival, not merely of survival, but theology as survival. Mm. Um, my own experience has been that it's as I do the work and find that God is in the business of liberating um, yeah. that instead of what is so easy to reject actually becomes um, the, the very thing that sustains and is the reason that I'm alive. So you, you've got no idea. <laughs> you've got you've got no idea how much uh, yeah. your music and putting that stuff uh, to music means for the rest of us. So um, we're deeply appreciative of the way mm -hmm. that you have wrestled um, the angel until it has blessed. Um, mm. And uh, that means the world to us. So thank you. Praise Beautiful. God. Thank you. Mm. So encouraging. Mm. So um, if we could now, I mean, we would love for you guys to actually um, dive into the passage there from Isaiah 58 and kind of walk us through it a little bit, talk about what you're seeing and why is this such an uh, important and significant passage for you? You know, for me, uh, one, with all the blemishes and the vulnerabilities and the clumsinesses of South Africa and South Africans' spirituality, I don't really have much recollection of anybody, wherever they came from, believing that it was purely the government's responsibility to always fix things. Um, it doesn't matter what, when, when we dealt with our inherent racism, we always thought that it was, it was because of the church and it was the church's responsibility to make adjustments, etc. The idea, like, like I live in America now and suddenly it's the government's responsibility to do everything. We just felt like we were in the predicament we were because of our own, our own issues and we had to work amongst ourselves and that would be a healing light to the country. So this passage, Isaiah 58, um, I'd say, I feel like I discovered it, that that 21 day fast is, you know, in a real way, as, as, as we spoke about earlier, but, but it actually was a passage for our country. It, the, this, was, this was a passage that everybody was thinking about and speaking about everywhere because, because we were in the predicament we were because of our religion, colonization, basically the our colonizers said they came to bring the gospel and to civilize us, but then they brought top heavy plans to take advantage of us. And so um, colonization brought a certain kind of spirituality, which was very manipulative and very leveraging and, and very mm -hmm. bargaining. And, um, and, and, and this passage basically is saying, you, you can, you can, you can focus on everything else. You can try as much as you like to, to, to try better your situation by, by doing all these externals, by going through all these routines, but actually true spirituality. Um, let's talk about as the scriptures of, it's a practical list. It's a, it's a shopping list of practicalities. It's not very esoteric. Mm. Um, it says, you know, <laughs> people who need food, people who need clothes, people who need houses and people who need the debts forgiven. That that's, that's just, it's a list of, of choice. Like a plan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so for me that, I don't know if that, you know, if that's, if that's enough, but this passage of scripture was a, a passage, which 
made its way around Christianity in South Africa, the Christianity that was trying so hard to actually look at the the demons of our past and say, what can we do? How do we, how do we change? How do we grow? How do we become agents of healing? This passage was a constant, practical, go-to list to say, mm. well, how about how about how about you try this one? That's um, it's really fascinating to hear you say that because I think in the United States, I can't imagine at least for mainstream Christianity there being a moment in which Isaiah 58 is a common text in which people are wrestling <laughs> with, right? It's just, so, it's so beyond anything to even imagine that that, that, that takes like faith and hope um, to, see, to see something that does not exist right before us, um, that, that might shape our imagination, you know? Um, so but that's, good news that that, <laughs> that's good news that that can happen, though, that that's possible. Um, that alone is good news to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And in Australia, you know, we're, we're so pagan. We're like, who's Isaiah? And why are you only given the start of his street address? Where, where's the rest of it? Like, no one would have any idea. Got Isaiah 58. And? Like, what's it? <laughs> Brittany, um, yeah. uh, uh, sorry, Drew. Yeah. No, I'm just going to ask if she wanted to, if there were things okay. out of the Isaiah 58 passage that she wanted to. Um, yeah, I, I love that scripture. I, I love that scripture. I, I woke up this morning and I read it again. And what I love most is for the last few days or weeks, I've been talking about um, about what in, in my mind, I've called it Christian responsibility and how we don't like it. Mm. Um, we like to ask yeah, well. God to take away everything and, and to fix everything and to clean up all the messes that we've made. And, and I think, I mean, we do that just, I, mean, I feel like I've heard that, that, you know, that type of talk all the time from Christians and, but in, in regards to oppression, this scripture says, you know, if you will, you know, let go of, of oppression, if you'll, if you'll get rid of it. And so it put, it's putting the responsibility on people and we we keep praying and we keep asking god this is i think it's a very spiritual thing this is absolutely a, it's a spiritual thing but there is some responsibility and I, I i just just going back off of what malcolm said you know try this thing maybe this thing will work you know yeah <laughs> um, there is a responsibility with this and um, right. sometimes the things we're praying and asking god to do we're supposed to do ourselves mm. especially when it comes to how people are treated, um, right. you know, right. and, and how we're there for each other. So that that's really, that's what I love about that scripture. Brittany, that's fascinating. And I think it gets to the, the heart of the dynamic of Hebraic prayer. Like, um, like even the prayer our Lord taught us to, to pray, um, hallowed be your name or, or sanctify your name. It's a, it's a Jewish way of um, stating what is already true. Um, of course, God's name is holy. Of course, God's name is, is sanctified. And yet um, we're, we're taught to pray, God, you need to come and sanctify your name. You need to come and make your name holy. Like you need to move in such a way um, and uh, like actually that our world reflects that your name is something that is sanctified. And in us asking God to do what is already a reality, we find ourselves caught up in that work. <laughs> we find that, I love how you put it, like Christian responsibility. If we're going to pray, um, God, come and make holy your name, hallowed be your name, um, we need to be a people 
for whom um, that name actually sends us into action to do what Malcolm called the checklist. Like, are we welcoming the stranger? Um, are we lifting um, the burden of the yoke? Are we um, uh, paying fairly um, uh, those who are workers? Uh, are we standing with workers? Like, and just the, the, the decimation of the union movement, both in the US, uh, Australia and South Africa, um, and working people being unable to organise and I love how now you put it like um, this isn't an esoteric list. It's pretty, mm -hmm. it's pretty clear. It's mm -hmm. like uh, actually paying work as well. That matters to God. Yes. Mm -hmm. like, that's, that's amazing. And even, even the irony of here, here is poetry, um, uh, poetry uh, that those um, whom this tradition ha has given us these scriptures has said, um, uh, this is what it is for God to be speaking, for the poets to actually be articulating the thoughts of God. Yes. And uh, here is your worship, a critique of worship. <laughs> and I listened to Common Hymnal, and uh, as I said um, earlier, one of the things I love so much about what you're doing is um, Common Hymnal has the ability um, not to anaesthetize us um, uh, from what's going on in the world, but actually uh, worshipfully worshipfully walk through what this moment is in history um, while singing prayers as protest. Beautiful. And um, the, this passage does that. And it's not merely um, uh, what you're singing, because I mean, a lot of people have been singing um, passages about liberation for a long time. Mm -hmm. But Brittany, I'm interested to hear from you in particular, what's it like to be a part of a collective where it's not about stages and superstars and lights? and photo shoots and um, uh, uh, certain ways of marketing and pushing certain people forward um, because of um, how their look will be received or whatever, which is some of the stuff that happens in um, the, the larger um, worship industrial complex. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there's a, there's yeah. like, it, it's a, it's a multi-million dollar industry. Absolutely. And here's common hymnal and you're taking part, Brittany, in, um, you know, these, these basement sessions where um, there is a, a spaciousness for um, your trauma to be transfigured in the context of a loving community who are convinced God's in the business of liberation and a song can be sung out of this. Uh, what's that like in, and how are you navigating the um, larger kind of pressures now? Because, you know, um, my 10-year-old wakes up and um, has your voice in his head as he sing wor worship music in the morning while, while he gets ready for school. In Perth, um, Noongar Buja, um, what's now known as Australia, on the other side of the world to Baltimore, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> so um, how, how are you responding to all of that in this moment? I wish everyone could experience this. I feel huh. like, uh, I feel like a lot of people do that they try um everyone every artist wants to you know to strip things down and and be raw and be honest and transparent and i think so many of us miss the mark because we're wanting to also be marketable um mm. we want to make sure that our music or what we're seeing is palatable and so we don't always take risks um and I say we, because I'm not trying to single people out. We're all artists and, and, mm. and I, I think we've all dealt with that. Um, and so I, I, wish, I wish more people could experience it. It, it really is, um, 
in my mind, when I think about Kama Himno, it's not about figuring out what you can do. For so many people, it's been figuring out who you are. Yeah, wow. Um, it's been about finding your place. Um, it's been about finding a people, a home um, that that does more than elevate your music and your writing mm. chops. It elevates your character. Yeah, wow. And so when I think about Common Hymno, and I just wish, man, I wish, I wish everyone could experience this. Um, I didn't. I, I told you guys, I didn't. Uh, I didn't want to do worship music in Nashville to write country music. That's that's like that's what I do yeah. outside of outside of Common Hymno, and it's yeah. it's been so fascinating to watch um, being a part of something that makes you strip away all of the, the junk. It makes you strip away um, all the things you thought were true. Sometimes about yourself. Mm -hmm. It's it's not about it's not about theology. It's not about I mean, people believe all, we all sometimes believe different <laughs> things about, about uh, all kinds of different topics. You know, uh -huh. we have a wide spectrum of, of, of beliefs in, um, in common hymnal. But getting rid of all the things you thought you needed to make you, you, mm. is the most freeing thing. And it, and it ends up just translating into other parts of your life. Um, yeah, well. And I've just watched it happen time and time again. People become... I don't know, better spouses, better parents, mm. better, better friends, better, um, they do better in their business. It just, I've mm. just watched it happen. And, and I wish everyone could experience, um, just the sacred, just the sacred, um, gosh, I don't even know the word for it. It's just freeing. It feels free yeah. and sacred. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. I hope I've answered the, the question correctly. I just, yeah, it's, it's important beautiful. for artistry. And everyone does it. That's why everyone goes into a cabin in the woods sometimes, or they go to a beach, mm -hmm. or they go to some secluded place because you're, everyone's just trying to strip down and strip away all the access stuff. Um, but somewhere in our psyche, somewhere in our creativity, um, something gets in the way sometimes. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. Yeah, and it's one other thing I'll say, it's not so much about how you strip down uh, and, and how, how, you, um, how you start to engage with other people in a different way. Really the healing agent, I, for me and my experience, I don't know if I've even talked to Malcolm about this, the healing agent and, and, and what happens with Kama Hymnal is really what happens or how you receive from everyone else. Yeah, well. Um, when we wrote he has time i didn't know any of them really i knew mm -hmm. orlando for two seconds i didn't know jamie at all we had just met each other ben and i knew each other a little bit um but i don't know that many people that like they just meet and then they spend nine hours writing about sexual abuse i don't really know those mm -hmm. you know i don't i don't know too mm -hmm. many people like that yeah um and so there's a certain culture that's cultivated in in our space that allows for that to happen Mm. Um, and I, I think it's sacred. No doubt. I really, yeah. I really think that it's, uh, it's sacred. I don't take it lightly at all. Hmm. That's good. I was thinking as you were talking, I was, my mind always goes weird places, I guess, but, um, I was thinking about the Isaiah 58 passage and you were talking mm -hmm. about, um, you know, people 
looking to God to fix everything when it's God is calling us to act, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the way in which then you're talking about your experience with common hymnal and and on one hand, like the, the worshipful witness, what I'm hearing from you is it's not even first and foremost about the singing, but it is about the community and the authenticity and who you are, right? And how you mm -hmm. live yeah. with one another and bear witness and encourage one another mm -hmm. that then comes and bears witness in the worship writing and the, all the singing that you guys do mm -hmm. that blesses others. And so it's a really powerful connection there with what I think God desires from us, right? Not just the yeah. empty, superficial piety and religiosity that anybody can perform, right? Uh, but something so much more, something deeper and more transformative. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, that's really beautiful. So much of Common Hymnal is just comprised of people doing random things um that no one would probably care about on a on a on a macro level just yeah. like one of our one of our our guys like he just he owns uh the only zero waste shop he and his wife own the only zero waste mm. shop here in nashville and they care about the environment and at our uh at our um our big recording that we did where we recorded both of our albums in 2018 like he had us composting like you know i don't mm. You know, it's 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 like simple things. There's so many people that are like that that are just they're doing the work in their own little small way in their own little small community, and then we yeah. get together and it's like, whoa, this is really this is really dope. You know, this yeah. this might not be explosive, but man, this is really decent, and it it gives so much more meaning to what a lot of us are already doing in our own little communities. It's yeah. it's not a it's not a big thing. Yeah, it's just people caring in little ways in in their own way. Mm -hmm. That's it's just a bunch of misfits who <laughs> just on the outskirts, just trying to find a different way to do life. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. I think, I think I said it right. Did I say it right, Malcolm? You did it really good. Okay, good. <laughs> Shout out to Isaac. <laughs> the guy doing random composting and, and, and changing all of our lives. And I don't use plastic cups anymore. Mm. Granted, I have to wash dishes now, but I don't use plastic cups, so it's nice. Thanks, Isaac. <laughs> um, Brittany, once upon a time, um, I studied fine arts and I, I majored in sculpture. And, and my oh. best friend in the world is uh, um, one of Australia's uh, most respected um, sculptors. And he has a okay. uh, $1.8 million a sculpture um, in the most prominent part of our, our city. Mm -hmm. And I do this, but um, I, I share that um, to, to say um, in 2001, I lived in Nashville for nine months and I actually did an installation where um, I was part of a um, Belmont church did this thing for artists and creatives um, and nearly everyone um, <laughs> was wanting to play country music and here's me and I was like uh, I do conceptual art and no one got it um, but uh, each week there were different artists that would um, uh, present what they're doing so most people would bring songs that um, for those eight weeks prior to when it was my week I collected all the we'd say styrofoam to use the same yeah yeah, yeah. Um, all, all the styrofoam cups and I washed them each week because here were all these Christians who were just chucking out styrofoam cups and plates and all the rest. Mm -hmm. And um, we then um, fed everyone uh, on the plates um, that they had thrown out. 
and then wrote um, verses about uh, redemption, carved them into the styrofoam um, and, and served people um, food on oh, the very wow. plates that they uh, chucked out and um, then opened up the space for people to respond to it. And what I was so struck by, um, and there's something of common hymnal's heart in this as well, is that um, uh, the, the prophetic, um, when it doesn't go for the easy um, shame and blame, but instead invites people into something that does show a picture of redemption, mm -hmm. um, physically, tangibly, that people can touch. When people see an example of something better, like even in terms of this passage and um, uh, talking about uh, to provide uh, the poor wanderer with shelter, I mean, so many of us, we're the, we're the poor wanderer, right? And I don't take, a, like, you know, I've lived um, 15 years of my adult life uh, sharing my roof with people who are asylum seekers and refugees. I'm not playing down uh, what um, uh, those people experience, to use it mm -hmm. as a metaphor. Uh, for the rest of us, but if we're able to identify that experience in ourselves, our heart opens up, right? Like there's a there's something about the creative arts that is inherently apocalyptic. It it, mm -hmm. it exposes and it reveals. Yeah. Um, Malcolm, how how is what Common Hymnal um, doing being received when Nashville is such a, a town where? Um, um, everybody's seeking to make it and yeah. um, th those those competitive impulses and um, how rivalry plays itself out in um, worship spaces and the the sense of climbing that can creep in even when people have an in intention that um, this is going to be for the glory of God and that sometimes gets confused with the glory of my career. Um, <laughs> how, how are you pastoring this space and can, keeping it the kind of space where people it is as Brittany so beautifully put um uh, about people becoming who they are and their character developing not merely their career you know i've lived in contradiction kind of my whole life yeah so i um i've worked i've lived in america now for 26 years and i've worked for all 26 years in the praise and worship industry, industrial oh. complex, as you yeah. called it, which is a beautiful <laughs> word. And um, I've, I've, I'm quarter Jewish. I'm totally and utterly, I'm not compartmentalized. That, that's American culture. Mm. I'm, I'm integrated to the core. I don't know how to separate reality, which does mm. not work for me well, lots, lots of my life in America. But I've been, <laughs> but I've, I am the same guy everywhere I go. I, I don't have multiple lives. I don't, I don't try to be another person in this place to, you know, I work in and I help many of the people who have great power in, in the system. I don't know, I don't know what, how to say it pleasantly yeah. in the, in the structure of formal, what I call the overground. Uh -huh. So I work in that world, but, but everybody knows me. I've worked, you know, I worked for Bill Hearn, who was the, the, who's literally the most influential person in, in Christian music. He died two years ago, but we met in Holland in 1986 when I was roaming around the world, you know, protesting apartheid. And so mm. he met me and drew me and he knew that's the Malcolm that he met. Yeah. And we worked together. We talked the last, you know, the last thing that Bill did before he died, he read the 500 pages of a book I gave him called Fantasyland on, 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 the, on American politics as origination in the concept of fantasy wow. <laughs> and he was he was we were diligent students i was the same guy there but i personally am an underground guy 
I'm I've I've lived in I've lived on the edges and um so for me common himmel is me as a, a little pied piper roaming the streets of America and other countries and just finding all the waifs and the strays and um and aggregating them and and, and building something I'm not really that concerned about the system in which I work, noticing mm. or making an impact. Uh, mm-hmm. I um, I function in that world. I'm very honest in that world. Uh, I have many awkward moments when I say funny stuff. And, and I, <laughs> to, to one of the most important persons in the world, we, we, we met last year and he told me about something he was doing that I was uncomfortable with. And I heard my mouth say so-and-so you know, I doubt my faith from time to time, but I've never doubted my membership of the Democratic Party. And th- that was just a very weird thing to say at this particular event with this particular person. And um, but they love me and I, I, I don't quite know what to do. And I, I've played a little part in, in that world. But I'm 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 on the side with all the sort of um, with the ones that don't have the drive and the ambition. Honestly, I crowd uh-huh. are if they wouldn't be with us, if they all were primarily business people who knew how to market the living heck out of themselves, they'd be famous and rich. Mm. But um, so in many ways, the musicians, yes, you've been very complimentary. We have really talented people who can sing yeah. and play and arrange everything. But but very few of our of our crowd are are primarily business geniuses who who know how to make a zillion dollars. Mm. So we 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 we've we've got the waves and the strays and. Um, we're comfortable and we're not in a rush. We don't have to, I'm third world to the core. Hmm. I don't have to, I don't have to be famous or influential to feel that my life is meaningful. I often say, I feel like I've had eight days in my life that I went to bed thinking, if I was just alive for today, I think I'm fine. And, uh, And if I can find, if I can make, if I increase that to nine or 10 before I die, I'll be happy as could be. I'm mm. trying to encourage young Americans who just, who are entitled and believe that they should all be, whose theology is when you wish upon a star or every dream will obviously come true. I'm trying to encourage people to do something. So, so, so we're not striving for great impact. Recently, we feel that what we're doing is connecting. And, yeah. you know, the average of this time span between another randomly interesting thing happening is just decreasing. It used to be once a month, you know, it was twi- every two weeks. Now it's, it's a couple of weeks where it was like, you know, I'm, I'm on the phone with Brittany. It's like, wow, the timing and stuff. So we're very happy with doing little stuff. We have a, a sense that at some point what we're doing is really going to make an impact. Mm. But it's already making an impact if we affect one person. Yeah. And so, um, so that's where we are. For, for, for me, my interest, I'm obviously a white guy who's 61 from South Africa. Why I should be lobbying about racism in America just sounds so, feels so stupid. <laughs> but, but, um, but I've built this little business, but Brittany's here in long term. Yes, we're talking about music, blah, 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 blah. But I'm also building a little company that 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 I'm mm. gift that will ultimately be gifted, and be owned by black and brown young people, Beautiful. and and so that's one of the subtexts of what we're doing. So I'm not really that interested in it taking off tomorrow, or or what people think about it. I'm very interested in in building 
this business that because I'm older than everybody else that when I when it's my time to go that um this is Oprah Winfrey that you're talking to tonight you've seen her <laughs> elegance her articulateness uh she's ambidextrous in every possible way um I feel like I've got the chance to be a support I'm gradually decreasing and this young woman is rising up to be a a powerhouse come on um, that's that's exciting. So where mm. the people like where you said it for music wasn't good, whether the music's good or not, just the what's happening structurally is so important. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But pe but the music is touching people. And I you know, I sit I don't remember the story, I sat in Indianapolis in January where we sang and then the first girl who came forward said she had ten years, one year, all the, all these she she'd basically been an addict. And she and and Britney sung Whiskey Lows. She heard at the at the when she went cold turkey. That's a, either caused it to go cold cold turkey was the song she heard that day. And she came to this event and didn't know we were going to be there. And said, "I'm one year or one year two months or I forget all the details." I was just standing nearby and said, "I'm free up from from cocaine addiction or whatever the hardline oh. drug addiction it was." And I just I I, I blah blah blah. Then I, I wish to just hug Britney and say. Your music has changed Excuse me. me. Yes. The next woman that comes forward, the next young college student that comes forward says, I was raped in broad daylight so many months yes. ago. And, and it's, we're not dealing with, just like we're not dealing with, um, with esoteria. Mm. Every, we, 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 this is not the most spiritual dynamite sort of like group of people in the world. This is, these are just the fragile strugglers. Mm. But wherever, wherever we go, people's lives are being deeply touched. And it seems in Congress, it seems like a mistake. Often it's like, this is a terrible, this shouldn't be happening. This is disproportionate. Mm -hmm. But um, so I'm so consumed with that. I'm not really that worried about how the system I work in. I still work in the industry and I've, the companies I work with, I've just said, I don't think we for you. We won't, we won't, we can't do this with you. Most of it has to do with um, white Christianity's adulation of Donald Trump and, and, and yep. all that kind of stuff is something very, very, very uncomfortable. And I just don't know, we can't get involved in that space. We yeah. will, we will coalesce, ultimately, a community, but not under my not under white leadership, white leadership that are, are striving for racial diversity, we will build something, ultimately, even if it's not huge, that is multi ethnic, but it would definitely be and, and black leaders under black leaders mm. and we can't do that in the industry this uh, we, we it doesn't work yeah. we have to just do something slowly and carefully on the side if it if it blows up well that will be a surprise if it doesn't we really feel that we've done something meaningful yeah, yeah wow you know i was thinking as you were talking i was like i can literally only think of one other time where i've heard a white leader who was at, at head of an organization who had an intentional plan to kind of decrease and put a, a black person. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, it was a few years ago, I won't say that, well, I'll say, I guess it's a good thing to say, right? This organization mm -hmm. called Door. And I think at mm -hmm. one time it was like an all white organization where, you know, they do stuff in the city and serve black and brown communities, right? Okay. And, and so then you had um, the new executive director who, first started bringing in um, people who were indigenous to those communities to be mm -hmm. over those sites. And then eventually, um, I, I remember, 
I spoke at a retreat and he was asking about this question because he was like, I'm not sure about my role here. And so I gave him a little, I don't know, some empty, you know, whatever, because at the end of the day, he's got to make the call if he's going to do it or not. But a couple of years later, he mm-hmm. stepped down and put a black woman mm-hmm. in that place. But that is so rare. And I think, um, so anyway, I just wanted to honor that you even have that yeah. as a vision for that organization because um, I, I guess it shouldn't be that rare. Um, and when you yeah. think about Christian practice, right? And we, me and Jared are always talking about, you know, what does it mean to put the first, the last be first and the first, mm-hmm. uh, saying that backwards, first and yes. last and the last first. Um, but I think that it is nonetheless. And so it's these moments where the kingdom of God can be expressed, mm-hmm. right? In actuality and not just in talk or ideas. Yeah. So yeah, that's really great. That, oh, that people can tangibly actually experience what it what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, Britt, in terms of um, that tangible experience, I want to share with you that um, uh, you, you might not be aware, but um, for Aboriginal people in uh, Australia, um, there are two forms of uh, music uh, that are really important to them, both coming out of the US. And uh, one of them is hip hop and the other is country music. And so songs like Whiskey Low uh, and what it means for my Noongar friends um, to hear um, uh, music that that deals with um, issues of addiction that is worshipful and is country as well from somebody who, um, like like kids in uh, my neighbourhood, um, local Noongar, Noongar kids, uh, there was one uh, kid named Ambrose and he would come and help with collecting the eggs um, from the chickens each day and he, he, he just liked to... Um, uh, play in our community garden and help out in that kind of way but he'd say things like um if if i collect all the eggs can i watch youtube and we're like oh um, is your mum okay with that ambrose like what and, and she's like, yeah, yeah yeah she's fine she's fine so we got permission from from mum and uh, uh well ambrose so what do you want to watch on youtube and he's like music and i'm like yeah yeah cool what music and he's like 50 cent <laughs> <And I'm> like, <laughs> It's a good I'm like, choice. Yeah, I'm like, Ambrose, what, why 50 Cent? And he's like, because he's Noongar, like me. For, for him, he saw 50 Cent and he automatically thought, um, this is somebody from my tribe. Uh, this is somebody from, from my... Um, wow. And the, how powerful it is for Aboriginal people here um, to see somebody um, who shares their skin tones um, actually uh, celebrating country music and they're like... Mm-hmm. So um, you, you need to know that um, not only do you have a home uh, w- with us when you both um, come visit or any of the Common Hymnal crew, uh, but I can't wait to um, uh, see you lot in remote communities um, uh, doing the diversity of music styles that you do and see how it re- is going to be received because it's something in- incredibly powerful. That you, you turn on Noongar Radio here, and um, you, you're either uh, going to hear um, Slim Dusty, a country and western singer, or Chance the Rapper, and that's just kind of how <laughs> culture works here. <laughs> that is well, incredible. this this is a landmark discussion for Brittany, by the way. Yeah, it is. It really is. <laughs> it is. I don't think I've fully known this yet. I don't know if Jared shared all this with me. <laughs> this is incredible. Okay, this is this is awesome. Yeah. Wow, it is powerful. Representation matters. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's so funny. I'm, I'm going to talk about myself for two seconds. I have a photo shoot next next week for uh, for some songs and I'm dropping country songs. And Great. I said to Malcolm, I said, 
what does a black country woman look like? <laughs> like <laughs> what does a black woman in country music look like? And, and, and Malcolm and I talk all the time about how these, these worlds are, are so much more intertwined than probably I give it credit for. Um, and uh, thank you. That's encouraging. <laughs> Representation truly matters. And um, yeah, thank you. So another subtext of our journey is coalescing people from the underground but innovating a new genre, the fusion of praise and protest, mm -hmm. and innovating another genre, ethnic country music. It's <laughs> great. Which in black turn is is oh go ahead, Mel. Black country music. That's that's like a that's a they both run side side by side. Um, Whiskey Lows has been one of the songs of ours that's been connected more with black community than any of other songs. With all our mm. efforts to to do something, it's that song that's connected with, with, um, with Black listeners. Mm, yeah, well. In so many ways, Black people aren't always, and I think a lot of people of color, aren't always um, afforded the opportunity to explore beyond the genres we've labeled as, as Black or right. as Latino. So people don't get an opportunity. It's like, if you're Black, they say, oh, you do gospel or you do R&B or you do blues. And uh, you can be literally doing folk and they'll say, oh, yeah, that's a nice R&B song. And so <laughs> just this opportunity for it's so many people of color in our crew who fuse all sorts of genres and, and being able to to have the opportunity and the space to do that um, wow. is something I think that's that's happening. And it's like one of those slow things. And it works for, for so many of our creatives where they're really creating a lane for themselves wow. um, musically and artistically. Brittany, do you know Guramal at all? Who? Guramal? No, I don't. Oh, this is exciting. Uh, Archie Roach? No. Um, Kev Carmody? No. Okay, so I'm going to introduce you to um, some Aboriginal uh, country stars here in Australia who, um, uh, like, uh, I'm, I'm not big on, on country. Uh, I, I get... Um, the man in black is about as country as I get, but there is something, there is something very wow. special about Aboriginal folk country music and how it fuses um, uh, soul music and country music together. So um, oh, here's a little treat that. from a, a Australia to you. So I'm, I'm going to send you a, a list of stuff that I think oh, you might really you. enjoy. Wow, I thought you were just wow. going to mention like Keith Urban. So this is awesome. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I mean, not to take away from, from Keith, I actually couldn't yes. even name you one of Keith's songs. Um, well, I can name 20, uh, I love him. Right, uh, great, yeah. Um, uh, I'm doing my best to be all things to all people. I know very little about country music whatsoever. Like, um, I, uh, but when it comes to um, Aboriginal folk country music, um, uh, that, that is a, a world that um, uh, feeds my soul. Um, and the, wow. the link between uh, protest music um, and um, black consciousness here. Um, James Cone and I had this incredible conversation. Um, uh, he invited me to lunch um, uh, years ago before he passed. Um, and he talked about visiting um, uh, central uh, Northern Territory um, uh, outside of Alice Springs um, after the publication of his um, first text 
and uh, sharing the connections between Black liberation theology um, and Aboriginal Christians' experience here. And he shared the impact that it had on him. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to send you some stuff that I think. Please. Uh, yeah, I'm so excited. excited. You, have, you have no idea how much this has. has I'm going to remember this. <laughs> well, I, I, mean, I don't want to be presumptuous um, with you both, but um, you lot feel like family. I think we're going to be friends forever. Like um, there's um, there's so much which our, our hearts and Malcolm, even listening to your story and the way that you, I don't know if you know that my mum's side of the family are, are Russian Jews. Um, oh, okay. uh, the way that you talk about integral approach to everything, not by choice, it's just the way you're wired, uh, uh -huh. an intuitive way of approaching theology. Mate, that's my testimony. Like that's, wow. <laughs> mm -hmm. so wow. I, um, I'm, I'm very excited about, all this um drew is much better at watching the time and respecting people's time than i i tend to exploit people that <laughs> uh, i just want to keep talking about um this stuff um i did maybe before we, we let you go if you do have time i wanted to talk about things that are central for for drew and myself um and in what you're both doing with common hymnal in terms of um the politics and practicalities of the priesthood of all believers and what it really does mean that the spirit has been poured out on all flesh and how um, we organize. And I just wanted to give um, you an opportunity because uh, I'm so aware that so many of our listeners are going to go listen to everything common hymnal now, which is very exciting <laughs> for us. Um, but uh, you, you've touched on it a bit, but would you say a little bit more about how central that is to um, your way of working? You know, um, Zulu, Zulu culture has something called indaba, hmm. which is basically what happens when the elders get together and you, you process stuff together and everybody has a vital seat at the table, although there might be a chief in the little village. Um, my understanding early on in my journey going up in the third world is that the, the ecology, the ecosystem of God's people, of God's community, of the church, is a community where everybody has a has a voice everybody has a role to play everybody has a part to yeah. play the, yeah. the kids the old people the very intelligent and those that are not very smart uh wherever wherever you fit on any spectrum of any of anything everybody still has something really important to bring to the table male mm. female every eth ethnicity etc so um part of my um just my personal interest in this is just is how do we create how do we actually uh, just create ecosystems where more people have a turn to participate it comes with great person with great risk sure it's i've learned as an old person i know why it's i know why you have hierarchies i know why people own things and control things it's just easier yeah because the moment you just take you know being kind or believing in people can sometimes be very cruel and it comes back to you and, it, and it's, it's not always appreciated and and so many people have been kind and generous walk with the limp because they've been taken advantage of yeah. but it's still important yeah. to just create cultures where everybody can play a part Amen. 
So, um, mm-hmm. so even when we do, you know, even in a small way, when we do our stuff, like for me, one of my, it's not a radicalness, it's, 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 that's an overstatement, but um, 1980, John Wimber and the Vineyard innovated the idea of the seamless worship set, that when you come together to a Christian gathering, that you, you ch- we, he, he said, let's check out all the liturgical influences of the past. Let's get rid of the Pentecostal people yelling. Just sing, instead of singing, doing all this stuff, just sing directly to Jesus. I love you. you you're mm. good looking. You're beautiful. Blah, blah, blah. And then play guitar and don't do any other stuff in between. And he basically did something very beautiful, but it quickly became a monologue and took all the dialogue out of, out of the community. Huh. So, so one of our common hymnal subtexts is to blow up the idea of the seamless worship set <laughs> and to create to create a context where every voice can play a part we don't have to just sing and close our eyes for 40 minutes and try hard to 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 have this unbelievable encounter because sometimes when someone tells their story and sings the most unrelated song to anything to do with the worship genre that it just pierces the heart yeah. and um so even at that level, at every level, we've just tried to model or to explore how do we give more people a turn to, to play. Beautiful. I can't say it more elaborately than that. And yeah. as I said, often that goes really wrong and relationships <laughs> can go wrong. Things can yeah. go really funny, but it's still yeah. worthwhile to, keep, to wake up to dust off for the next day and say, I, I'm not going to give up. Um, yeah. This mm-hmm. is important. And that's, that's, that frees me up as the older white instigator of this venture to, mm. not, to not have to feel, go to bed at night feeling really, really guilty about being the initiator because, mm. um, because I, know, I know what we're working towards. I know that I'm, I'm a participant in something. The, the biggest thing I bring to the table is just that I'm flipping old. <laughs> so I, I don't bring whiteness or ex- life experience in music business. I bring the fact that I've done all the things that you're all about to do and almost all of them went wrong. And I can tell you about it because I'm as stupid as you. And that's, that's, the, that's the genius that an old person brings to a kingdom of priests, to a collaborative community where everybody has dignity. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I I recognize that black culture. If if I'm if if I'm black in America right now, I'm not really wanting to be in a multi-ethnic context. I don't think I'm particularly mm-hmm. interested in it. I don't think it has any attraction to me whatsoever. <laughs> I I recognize that from God's point of view, the nations are the inheritance of Jesus. Mm. And and every ethnicity, every culture, being involved in God's story is important. But um, but I but I recognize it's it's not really desirable. But but I but talk, using the phrase the peace of believers, we we want to talk about God's intention for the, His ecosystem. Because mm. even if even if we just exhausted, because being a black person in white community is very tiring. Yeah, right. I've never felt tired being the only white guy in black community. I spent years of my life in South Africa as the lonesome white soul in a sea of blackdom, and I was never bored. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing boring about being in black community, but being the only black person in a white community, now that just feels boring. Child, you have no idea. 
But but for this idea of a collaborative community of priests, where where there's something there's something noble to aspire toward, and there's a place for us all to come to table. We got a project to work on. That's yeah. that's more than just you'll never hear me use the word racial reconciliation, excepting when I'm saying that it's a terrible word to use. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, more right. than any of those things, it's just it's a it's a noble project to just create a culture where lots of people can have a turn. Yeah. So yeah. to see this thing emerging, to see Brittany Spencer rising up as a really really skillful, artful, um, wise leadership, a young black American woman with a crew of people that are uh, Latino and Asian and stuff. And just, you know, every week, it's my, it's my privilege to have one of, someone call me and say, man, I didn't realize how wise Brittany, Brittany is. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm just watching, and she's, she's given up, she's explored this kingdom of priests mm. where, where she has to be with other people that she probably wouldn't have preferred to be with if she hadn't bumped into me along the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but now we we innovating something you know it's, it's it's provided us creativity to actually for me to i'm i'm more i'm not in the music business or in the in the justice praise and protest business anymore i'm in the business of um of being an inspiration to young black leaders that's 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 my project everybody else is getting on the other business my project is just is just teaching young white people what people to give these black people a turn <laughs> to mm. speak and listen to them and le le learn from these ambassadorial skills. And it's, it's, it's my project. That's yeah. my part. That's the thing I bring to this, to this collaborative ecosystem. Hmm. That's good. <laughs> That's good. I feel like, um, so I, I, I'll, okay. I have from 2005 to 2008, I was a part of, um, I was a youth pastor at a, multiracial church um that was like white dominant call yeah Jared. <laughs> okay. i'm giving the quotations i guess I, I gotta explain that for the mic oh yeah this is an audio um, um platform for most people those jokes probably won't work yeah. <laughs> um but but i mean at that time the community um it, it did you use the language of racial reconciliation um but i mean white dominant culture just bathed everything and they're just they it just smothered the life out of black people and their actual gifts and theology and you know mm -hmm. i mean you had to conform and contort yourself into that space um mm -hmm. and so i imagine that if if there were more communities that affirmed black people's dignity and gifting and dealt with the power dynamics and so, you know, all that kind of stuff and shared and decentralized power, all that kind of stuff. I think more people might be excited about it, right? If, if they saw that as an actual possibility. But I think oh, yeah. what we see right now is that those projects have often been death dealing culturally, spiritually, socially, emotionally for black people um, that most people, I think, that's the last thing that most people want. I don't know. That's been my experience. At least I shouldn't overstate, brother. There's some people that do want that still, but I think it's very rare. Yeah. Well, diversity is the fashion in Christianity in 2020, right. and every every one initiative is has is diversifying, um, for various motives. I won't. Right. But 
To hold on to power. I think that's the word you're looking for, Mac. Where the status quo still remains the same, the structures still remain the same. Oh my goodness, the Holy Spirit's threatening us with repentance. What do we do? Diversify, (laughs) and then we can still hold the controls. Well, you won't hear much talk of racial reconciliation and diversity in common hymnal. You won't see that. If you go read every word on the site, it's got nothing to do with any of that stuff. We're just aggregating people from the fringes, and this is what people in the fringes are interested in. <laughs> mm. right. Yeah, I'm, right. I, I'm so aware that uh, without the kind of real justice that makes conciliation possible, mm-hmm. um, any talk of reconciliation, uh, well, Drew and I were just talking about this uh, recently, that um, Annie Isabel Coe, who started the Aboriginal Tent Embassy, uh, or one of the leaders who started the Aboriginal Tent Embassy as a challenge um, on the lawn to Parliament House here in Australia. Um, mm-hmm. uh, um, she would often say that um, uh, reconciliation without justice is just reconciliation. It's all just silly. And um, that, that, that's been ringing in my ears for, for decades now. It's all just silly. We might not forget that. <laughs> no, I won't. <laughs> we won't forget that. Well, this is this has been beautiful. Yes, um, it's been really nice. Yeah. Thank you for your work and witness. Uh, thank you for um, w- what you've done with your creative gifts, becoming the soundtrack to um, my sermon prep, uh, um, m- my children's praise and worship. Um, it's it's wonderful. Uh, your your influence on, on us and. Um, the ministry time, um, the kingdom is yours, and what that opened up. Um, I guess we've been singing that since nearly it came out, and uh, it's it's meant so much that people were like, "Oh, one of the reasons why I keep coming back to this church because the songs they sing, and they meant your songs." So you lot know, should should know that. Um, I wish it was my preaching, but apparently it's your songs. <laughs> well, this has felt um, very homely. This is this is. Yes. We've both had, um, this is a very stressful day and it's very stressful. We're busy, there's so much going on. And I've managed to forget about all of my pieces of paper with everything I'm supposed to do before I go to bed tonight. And this just has felt like very remedial, very restorative. Mm -hmm. So we have a little, I don't know, please let's find a way to to collaborate. Yes, please. Please. Any way that we can support what you guys are doing, we would love to. And and maybe the uh, one way that we can do that is um, uh, since you've created this community um, of people with this heart, um, maybe we can find a regular way to you know once a month feature somebody from Common Hymnal, uh, lift up, and uh, explore scripture um, with them. Um, so any creative thing that you can think of, um, we're up for conspiring to do holy mischief okay. and cause Christ-like trouble. So let us know. Wonderful. Okay. Well, we got a little podcast. Ours is not very, uh, we just do, all, everything we do is just minusculely, little teeny weeny stuff. But, um, but, but we read the emails every day and we know that it's touching people. It's, yeah. It's doing stuff. And, um, but maybe we can, I don't know, we'll, we'll figure it out. But thank you. This is this has been a gift to us. Thank you so much. Yeah, exactly. well, um, sorry, you guys want to just share real quick about where people can find you? Find yeah. your music and learn about more about Common Hymnal? 
We're all over the streaming platforms and the Spotify's and the Apple Music's um, on our socials. Uh, you can find us. Common Hymnal is our handle for everything. Just Common Hymnal, no spaces or anything like that. Um, YouTube. Um, gosh, just all the, all the spaces, I guess. Mm. Which is, is and so I always enjoy the YouTubes in particular. Just so beautiful. I'm a visual, I guess. I don't know. But, but yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. The YouTubes. That's how my grandparents say it. The <laughs> my grandfather uh, texted me a few minutes ago. So that's probably why I'm, I'm, I'm talking like him. <laughs> I don't know if you have seen the songs that we put up yesterday and today. Yeah, just shared them this morning. Okay. Wow. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. Wow. We thought, you know, the sad part of it is we thought that when the Amin Arbery thing happened, we thought, well, let's, everybody's, it feels like, like this is becoming fashionable now. Though we want all the white people to say something, we don't also want them to just be on the bandwagon. It's difficult to know how to process it. But we thought for us, let's not, let's just, let's keep some of our songs for a few weeks' time when, because these subjects are interesting to us all the time, not just when there's a public, you know, atrocity. Yeah. And, um, so we scheduled one for Monday and then woke up on Monday morning and found that yet another young black man had been murdered. Yeah. And um, so we still went ahead and, you know, and posted them because it doesn't yeah. seem like there's going to, sometimes we wonder if there'll be any space, but. Um, right. Yeah. And can I say, I really appreciate that um, uh, in the videos um, because you're listening, but that you haven't, I find it really difficult. Um, I haven't seen the Passion of the Christ, and the reason why I haven't seen the Passion of the Christ is because I love Jesus, and yeah. like I can't, I can't listen to the Passion being read in any of the four Gospels and not cry. To to actually then have to go through a sadomasochistic like display of, of that, I'm like, I'm out. No, thank you. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and yet the same thing happens uh, with the brush of quote unquote. Um, wanting to educate or um, share and not realize that, um, yeah, some of us have been in those positions. Some of us, it's the story of our friends and our neighbors and it, it's, um, it's triggering and it, it's, um, uh, so I really appreciate even the way that the, the images that you associate creatively with the music about this stuff um, doesn't, cheapen people's bodies for shock value but instead yeah. humanizes so thank you thank it you a whole lot. grateful for that thank you we would love it if um either of you would uh pray for our listeners um in any way that feels comfortable or not in any language or tongue maybe that you choose the <laughs> apostolic sister with us. So, um. <laughs> Would either of you feel comfortable doing that? We both, I'm sure. Yeah. Thank well, you. Why don't you go ahead? Well, God, thank you for this time. As I said, it just feels like being at home mm. and that's a gift to us. Thank you for these people who t went to the effort to download this or stream it and listen to this podcast. As we said earlier in this podcast, our hope is 
we're not focusing on the millions. Every mm -hmm. single day we're thinking about the one or the two. And so if this conversation has the ability to be an encouragement or a an influence on one person's life, this feels exceedingly meaningful. And so in terms of whoever that one person is right now that's listening to this podcast, we we just pray for him or her mm. and um and just in terms of the challenges of life, the things that go wrong, the discouragements, the the sort of like unmet expectations and just the drama of our of our existences. I, I, my hope, my prayer is that this this one person is just sitting here who is chatting to us right now. We they don't have the microphone, we only do, but my hope is that they, you, will be encouraged, inspired, hopeful, and ready to sort of like um, get back on your feet and, and, and not really be held down by the repetitive disappointments or obstacles, but really find a, a new sort of dignity in the spiritual journey. I just pray for that person for who's listening right now for just for a real special turnaround to happen as a result of just listening to this chat. Thank you so much. street he was the rose that grew out of the concrete the same ground where his body lay like rose petals on a stony grave why do we fear each other from the lies of yesterday I'll never know Look at all these roses with petals on the ground. They call this one my ground. I'm asking you to look at all these roses with petals on the ground. They call this one Trayvon Martin. I'm asking you to look at all these roses petals on the ground They call this one type Shawnee I'm asking you to look at all these roses with petals on the ground It's far too many for me The tears of my mother were spilled at his grave she knows the cost the whole world could not repay. And when she should have felt our sympathy, all we told her is that a baby was guilty. And do we even have compassion? Do we even want to see? I'll never know. But look at all these roles. 
petals on the ground They called this one Freddie Gray I'm asking you to look at all these roses With petals on the ground They called this one Eric Gardner I'm asking you to look at all these roses With petals on the ground They called this one Sandra Bland I'm asking you Look at all these roses with petals on the ground. Every woman, every man. Oh, sometimes I wonder if you were more than a number. Would we ever see how beautiful and special and precious you were? If only, if only you would better decide, you would still be alive. But I'm asking you to look at all these roses with petals on the ground, like the ones from Sandy Hook. I'm asking you to look at all these roses. Petals on the ground. They will change the story in our history books. So while we can, let's look at all these roses. Look at all these roses. Look at all these roses. Petals on the ground. I'm asking you to look at all these roses. Look at all.
Don't 